You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now present the Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. everyone and welcome to the Health Hub. I'm your host Kathy Biasse and along with our producer Alex Diaz and our production assistant Daniel Tersini, we would like to welcome you to our show this morning. Good morning everybody. Good morning Daniel and Alex. How are you doing? Good morning. Yeah, everything's going fine so far. Good. We're good doing to well. hear. You've had a good week, I hope. Yes. Yep. Yes, we have. I missed last week. Our show was taped last week. I was away in Antigua, and it was lovely. Um, I'd like to wish all the moms out there a belated happy Mother's Day. I hope you had a wonderful day. I know I did. I had uh, breakfast with all my family, and then I went on to watch the Raptors game. And it just, uh, I can't say that it was a fun time watching that game, but it was all worthwhile when that uh, one, two, three, four bounce went in. So, oh man, it was. You, uh, you were fortunate enough to be there, but I was. Uh, I, I, don't know I, I was definitely uh, very, very excited. I don't know. I'm watching it on TV, but I was also kind of stressed out. Well, at the same time. yeah. See, I don't know. I honestly did not enjoy really a moment of that game until the final buzzer. It was close. It was. Uh, it was very stressful. And I was forced to watch it because I was there. There was one point I sat down and I thought, I am not standing up again until they... Well, at least you stayed through the uh, I through have the to stay. Imagine yeah. if we had a left. I mean, it wasn't... It was just so tight the whole way through. If I was at home, I would not have been watching it. So I'm... You would probably be cutting cutting, cutting the lawn if, uh, uh, if yeah. I know you correctly. Well, yeah, well, or doing uh, anything. Washing dishes. It was, uh, it was a real decision whether or not I wanted to go to that game. Honestly, we nearly uh, gave the tickets up, but we went and it was... It was wonderful. So uh, a perfect end to a Mother's Day. And as long as Dr. Cole is not a Milwaukee fan or, I guess, a Philadelphia fan. Oh, he may be. Oh, well. Oh, yeah. Oof. Oh, anyways, maybe he's not a basketball fan. So we could just push on through that. But that was an exciting series and uh, makes it all all fun. In to any be case. A sports. In any case, we move on. No hard mm-hmm. feelings anyways. So anyways, today's show is live. Our phone number, if you'd like to call in, is 416-245-1534. Please do follow us on our social sites. We are on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and we are at the Health Hub RMC. And if you would like to propose any show requests, if you have any questions about any of our guests or anything else you'd like to discuss, do email us at thh at radiomaria.ca. I really hope you enjoyed our tape show last week with Aube Giroux. Uh, modified that was a movie that was she won many won a, a great award for her many accolades and it was on the cbc and you can still see it streaming on the cbc that uh, podcast will be up shortly for you it was wonderful you know actually but, uh, we worked on it this morning okay. oh, it's up right now and it's up right now oh. on our Radio maria website okay well there you go see there you go so it's up uh, do listen to it really great information about gmos and uh Really, the problem that we have here in Canada about the lack of GMO labeling. So, do take a listen. All of our shows, live and taped, are flipped over into a podcast. We are the Health Hub. We are on iTunes, SoundCloud, all your favorite podcast platforms. You can also easily find our podcast on the Radio Maria website, which is uh, radiomaria.ca, and on my website, which is kathybiasse.com. So on to our segment uh, before we talk to Dr. Cole today. Our bodies, we've discussed this many times. Many of the intros have had uh, symptomology uh, brought to you. But through symptomology, our bodies are constantly telling us the story of our health. And what we need to do is read that story and understand what our body is trying to tell us. A well-studied area for reflection of our health is our fingernails. So I wanted to talk about that. I don't think we've talked about that at all. Our fingernails are composed of, our nails are composed of layers of protein called keratin. And healthy nails are smooth and they are uniform in color. Now, sometimes through a life 
lifestyle uh, through uh, maybe some injury. Fingernails can develop uh, harmless vertical ridges um, through aging. These ridges can become more prominent. And they can also develop uh, white lines and spots. But these usually do grow out with the nail. Um, but sometimes changes in your nails can be a symptom of an un- underlying health issues, a uh, reflection of liver issues, lung, thyroid, heart. They can actually show up in your fingernails. So I, I don't want to go through the, the vast amount of uh, research that has been done in symptomology. So I just pulled out uh, a few of them to go over and, you know, do it's very, it's very interesting to take a look and, and Google um, just how, how a reflection of your health, your fingernails actually are. So here are a few examples. Yellow nails, these ca- yellow nails can appear with lifestyle issues. Uh, for instance, the use of acrylic nails, uh, smoking, these can, these can cause your nails to turn yellow. One of the more common causes of yellow nails, however, is a fungal infection. And in rare cases, yellow nails can indicate a more serious condition such as a thyroid issue, lung disease, diabetes, or even psoriasis. Pale nails, on the other hand, can, uh, this, is, this is a little bit more intuitive for many of us, they can be a sign of anemia or heart uh, issues, uh, um, liver disease or malnutrition. And bluish nails, they can be a sign of not enough oxygen getting circulated within your body. And this could be an indication of a lung problem, such as emphysema. Heart problems can also be associated with bluish colored nails. Now, dry, cracked, or brittle nails... Uh, if you have your hands in water, uh, if you are working with chemicals, these lifestyle factors can play a role in having dry or cracked or brittle nails. A lot of nail polish removers can be really tough on your on your fingernails. Um, but cracking and splitting nails can also be a cause of a fungal infection or a thyroid disease, particularly uh, hypothyroid issues. Brittle nails may also be due to deficiencies in vitamin A, C, or the B vitamin biotin, which we will discuss very briefly uh, in a short second here. And spoon nails, nails that are curved upwards on the edges, uh, giving them the the spoon-like appearance, can be a sign of iron deficiency, um, anemia, heart disease, or hypothyroidism. So those are just a few of the cues that your nails can give us that we may have uh, some health issues we want to take care of or at least investigate. But I also wanted to give you some holistic ways to take care of your nails. So moisturizing your nails and your cuticles is important for nail care. And using olive oil can be a great remedy for weak nails. The um, oil helps to moisturize the nail and help to repair uh, soft nails and cuticles, which will lead to healthier nails. Also, here's an interesting one, is soaking your nails in green tea. Green tea can make your nails strong and healthy. The antioxidants in green tea can help prevent brittle nails and strengthen them. And they also can help get rid of the yellowing discoloration that comes from lifestyle issues. So, you know, brewing yourself a cup of tea, letting it cool off, and then soaking your nails in there for 15 or 20 minutes is uh, a very good way to take care of your nails. Massaging your nails, any type of massage all over your body helps to improve in circulation. And uh, massaging your nails is no different. It helps to improve blood circulation, making them stronger. You can use the olive oil um, or that you were using to uh, moisturize your nails with that I just mentioned there. You can use coconut oil. I used to play the guitar, and uh, when I did so, I had um, very strong nails very strong nails, just from pressing on, on the, the strings and on the frets. So using your fingers, pressing them, touching them together can also create good circulation. Of course, diet is very important, eating adequate protein. As I mentioned, carotene is a type of protein that is important for your nail structure. So foods rich in protein um, are chicken, eggs, nuts, quinoa, and beans, and also foods containing biotin. Biotin is a water-soluble B vitamin that helps build thick and hard nails, Foods that are high in biotin are salmon, carrots, egg yolks, lentils, sweet potatoes, and almonds. So that uh, just, I found that very interesting. I was researching that for uh, someone I'm working with, so I thought I'd bring it forth to you. So hopefully you can take that information and run with it. One, one thing I, I did uh, pick up on was that you did play the guitar. Uh, I, and yeah. uh, I, I never knew that about you, thanks. Uh, not as often. Sharing that. Yeah, yeah, I haven't played it in a while, but uh, I used to teach guitar, so... Life moves on, and my guitar is standing up in my son's bedroom, actually. But he took it on, and he's moving forward with guitar playing. So, 
Of course, yes. yes. Passing it on. I do like to play sometimes at night uh, around the campfire every once in a while, but yeah, it's something that's sort of passed me by. Anyways, I can, it's like riding a bike. I can still play my chords, so not too bad. Anyways, on to our show today. We have with us Dr. Will Cole, leading functional medicine expert, consulting with people around the world via webcam on his website, drwillcole.com. So that's D-R-W-I-L-L-C-O-L-E.com and locally in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. He specializes in clinically investigating underlying factors of chronic disease and customizing health programs for thyroid issues, autoimmune conditions, hormonal dysfunctions, digestive disorders, and brain problems. Dr. Cole was named one of the top 50 functional medicine and integrative doctors in the nation and is a health expert for Mind, Body, Green, and Goop. Dr. Cole is the author of the book, Ketotarian, in which he melds the powerful benefits of a ketogenic diet with a plant-based one. Our learning points today will be understanding the autoimmune inflammation spectrum, tools used by Dr. Cole to help support patients with autism, and the types of labs that Dr. Cole would recommend. This is only a few of the few of the many points that we'll be getting into with Dr. Cole after our break.
You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now continue with the program, The Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. Welcome back, everybody. We are live today. If you would like to talk with Dr. Cole, our number is 416-245-1534. And again, do follow us on our social sites. We are at The Health Hub RMC. Good morning, Dr. Cole. Thank you for joining us. Good morning. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Are you a basketball fan? I'm not. I heard your conversation <laughs> earlier. I'm from Pittsburgh. We don't have a team. So I'm, a, you know, we have the Steelers here, the Penguins here, the Pirates here, but no basketball for me. Okay, <laughs> that's good. Good. Well, I, perfect. We don't have to talk about that at all because I'm sure that uh, the people in your state are not too happy right now. Anyways, we'll get on to our show today. Uh, we have had a lot of interest in this topic. That's why I have pursued uh, you to try and get you onto the show, which you so graciously have done. And we've had a number of questions being fielded to us over the week. So we will get to those questions, hopefully, throughout the show. But how did you get involved in the study and in the area of autism? Uh, well, it's near and dear to my heart, I think, just seeing the amount of autism spectrum disorders in our country uh, in growing amounts and really just the larger conversation uh, around inflammatory health issues and autoimmune inflammation spectrum issues beyond autism and autism being one part of that. So my heart and passion in functional medicine is really giving people on this autoimmune inflammation spectrum uh, some tools and hope and and action steps to start improving their wellness, improving their quality of life and feeling better and just living the life that, you know, God wants them to live. So I um, am passionate about it and it's uh, something that I I kind of immerse myself in seeing patients around the world and most of our patients are seen via webcam. So I get to talk to people in the Middle East and Central and South America and then across North America um, talking about uh, improving brain function, lowering inflammation, improving gut health and mitochondrial health, all these things that are important, not only for kids on the spectrum, um, but for people with different types of autoimmune inflammation issues. So are you um, seeing a rise worldwide in autism or is this a North American phenomenon? No, it's it's mainly a Western issue, but I would say that across the world we're seeing more and more of it. And I think part of the reason why is because of the amount of uh, influence that the West is having on the food supply and having as far as the toxin uh, exposure that, that people are having uh, and a confluence of, of many different factors because we have these methylation genetic SNPs and those methylation gene SNPs have I mean, researchers estimate our genes haven't changed in like 10,000 years, but what has changed is the amount of stressors that our genes have been put under, and it's triggering these genetic predispositions to things like autism and other autoimmune-type problems um, like never before. So what was once rarity is now sadly commonplace where people are really um, triggering these health problems like never before. We've heard this song before, you know, having the gene predisposition, but not having it expressed in many other diseases that we've talked about on the show. And again, you're saying this is something that you believe is a factor in autism. But let's get into more of what the difference is, what you bring to the table as a functional medicine practitioner that differs so from the mainstream uh therapies, the mainstream medical system that most autistic patients are entered into? Yeah, I think another word for functional medicine is integrative medicine. And how I see our position as functional medicine doctors is that we are providing this sort of integrative approach uh, to somebody's health, whether it's somebody on the spectrum or another problem. Uh, So I think that a lot of the conventional modalities to therapies are fantastic uh, for our family's journey uh, for a child on the spectrum. But how I see what we're doing uh, in functional medicine is really integrating a lot of these pieces of the puzzle, making it um, easy for the parents to understand what's what's appropriate for them, leading the way, because it can be very overwhelming for a parent to know what the heck they should be doing to really start um giving them direction and accountability and, and a support system uh, through this journey is very much needed. 
so I think running labs is probably the main difference beyond that. It's, it's looking at things like what's going on in the gut. I mean, there's an exciting study showing the influence that the microbiome, which is the trillions of bacteria in the gut, how that plays a role in somebody uh, on the spectrum and their brain function. Uh, so we know the gut and brain are formed from the same fetal tissue. So when, when the baby was growing in the mom's womb, and for all of us, when we were growing in our mom's womb, the gut and brain are formed from the same fetal tissue, and they're inextricably linked for the rest of our lives through the gut-brain axis. And you'll even see on the scientific literature, if you go to PubMed or you know any sort of uh, website as far as where all the research is stored, that the gut and the microbiome is referred to as the second brain. And if you think about it, the intestines even resemble the brain. Uh, and the connection between the gut and brain is, is very much something that you should consider for a child on the spectrum. Uh, and then looking at things like toxicity. Is it an issue or not? Looking at things like, is there actual neurological autoimmune component to the case? Meaning, is the immune system creating an inflammation attack against the brain or not. There's a lot of things to consider, and you could have 100 kids on the spectrum, and what is going on underneath the surface for one person isn't necessarily going on underneath the surface for the next person. So there's a collection of things that you have to do a differential diagnosis of to see what that kid's journey is going to look like. Because you, you can't have a cookie-cutter approach when it comes to autism or any inflammatory health problem. So it's really important to keep an open mind, see what are the pieces to the puzzle of why this child is going through what they're going through. You brought up the topic of the uh, inflammation spectrum and the autoimmune inflammation spectrum. I think it would be wise for you maybe to explain that to us in connection with autism. Is, is autism, uh, can it partially be an autoimmune disease? Have you found that? Or are we talking inflammation as, you know, the, the, the boiler point for all of these diseases? How are you equating this with autism? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the, I, this is a phenomenon that I've seen in my practice for the past decade plus, and, um, and it's this concept of the autoimmune inflammation spectrum. Not all kids on the autism spectrum have a noticeable, measurable autoimmune component, but I would say most have an inflammatory component. But again, it's this, this nuanced perspective that every kid's different and we can't make any broad sweeping statements, but there's a large part of them that have a autoimmune component and inflammatory component. And then beyond autism, there's over a hundred different autoimmune diseases, and then an additional 40 above that 100 that at least have an autoimmune component. And I would put autism on that list, having an autoimmune component. Um, so the one side of that spectrum, that inflammation spectrum, is silent inflammation or silent autoimmunity, where maybe if you ran labs, you would see some things abnormal, but the person's feeling fine. They're not noticing any effects of the inflammation. And then the second stage on that spectrum is inflammation reactivity or autoimmune reactivity. And that's when the person is feeling symptoms. You, the, the family's noticing things or you're noticing things in your own life. And, but it's not bad enough to be a full-blown stage three on the spectrum, which is the autoimmune disease or the ICD, the diagnosis code, where they're labeled uh, with a certain health problem. The reality is by the time it gets to that stage three, it's on average about 10 years prior for many adults when these things are brewing or for kids, it's that catalyst of that tipping point when these things start expressing themselves. So on average, these, these things are, we have to catch them as soon as we can to start calming this inflammatory response, start improving these outcomes and improving the labs and their quality of life. So that's what I'm referring to when I talk about this, this inflammation spectrum, and it's so much a part of my practice. It's something that I'm actually writing a book about. It'll come out in October of this year, um, and it's on pre-order now on Amazon, et cetera, but it's called the inflammation spectrum, but it's something that I have seen in my practice for the past 10 years. Uh, we'll have to get you back on the show when the book comes out for sure. Now, when autism is, um, you know, when children get, they're not born with autism theoretically, Correct. 
I, I, this is not an area that I'm completely common with. So children sure. can be uh, perceived by the parents to be progressing at the so-called regular average rate, and then all of a sudden symptomology for autism can show up. Is that correct? For the most part, that's how you have parents describe it, is that you would have normal development and then something shift. Um, and then in theory, there are, and there's studies, studies that show this, that sometimes that reactivity, that inflammation response happens, or begins to happen in utero. Again, this connection between autoimmunity and autism, you can find a lot of cases anecdotally and studies to show this too, that, that moms have some sort of let's say, food sensitivity, like a gluten sensitivity, and they have maybe Hashimoto's disease, autoimmune thyroid disease, and maybe she knows it, maybe not. Um, But then you have this sort of reactivity going on in the mom, and that's impacting the child as well. And again, they may not notice it, but then something was that tipping point when that child was younger or at some point in their development where the parents are actually noticing it in their lives. So I would agree with you, yes, that's how most parents describe it, but that's not to say that there weren't things going on in utero as well uh, that was sort of setting up the framework for something being triggered. Okay, I'm going to throw in one of the questions that was sent to me here. It seems appropriate at this time. Do you work with uh, couples that are planning to have children? Do you do prevention within the autism sphere? Because I know uh, I've got children that are one is married and, and the other ones are coming to that point in their lives. My young, my daughter works with autistic kids. And it is in um, a lot of kids' minds, or maybe it's just in my family's group because one is a teacher. They are a little bit anxious at the number of kids that they see on the spectrum. And I think it's an opportunity to perhaps work in a preventative manner. But are you seeing younger couples coming to you in a preventative mode with respect specifically to autism? Absolutely. I think that I've seen this phenomenon, not just with autism, but across the board, parents wanting to do the best that they can. Again, you can only do so much. So it's a very delicate conversation. I'm not stressing people out or fear mongering or uh, making people, you know, fear all the stuff's going to happen. But at the same time, what can we do to do the best we can? Uh, and I think that that's something that I, I encourage. And I think I see growing amounts of young couples becoming aware of the statistics and realizing, look, I want to get my health in order to have the best pregnancy I can have and to give my baby everything that I can give. And that's a great thing. So we always go to it with a sense of grace and excitement and lightness to look at all these great things that you can plan now, even before that you're even pregnant, to start preparing your body for both the dad and the mom, improving their body the best that they can. So yes, I I would advocate for that because when you look at the studies that are emerging, and again, more studies obviously need to be done, but I think we have enough evidence to see here that the health of the parents can be a piece of the puzzle when it comes to autism. I think that's a great testament to you and your field and and leaders uh, in the functional medicine category because it is because of you people that younger kids who may not have thought that their health was an issue are starting to see these things and an integrative approach to their overall health and the importance to their own babies. Uh, we're going to take a break here. We're going to come back and get more into therapies and so forth and what Dr. Cole likes to do with his patients. We'll be right back.
voice wherever you are. To contact us and be a part of the show, please call 416-245-1534. We now continue with the program. Here once again is your host, Kathy Biasi. Welcome back, everybody. We are with Dr. Will Cole, and we were talking about a functional approach uh, to autism. Dr. Cole, thank you again for joining us. Um, what would you say are the common factors among autism patients, the typical factors that you would see? Well, it could be anything because the, this concept of a spectrum can really manifest in many different ways. But I would say a delay in cognitive development, so uh, trouble with with words and, and communicating, trouble with making on, eye contact, and then there are things like um, ticks and stimming, as they call it, but basically um, involuntary movements or repetitive movements. Um, and then, you know, it could be very, very mild on the spectrum, too. It doesn't have to be extreme, but it's just a slight cognitive um, impairment. The kid is not uh, developing as quickly as uh, other children. So these are things that are important to not become fearful, but just to get the proper exam to see where they're at as far as development is concerned. And then from there, if the child is on the spectrum, to seek help, to reach out, get the proper appropriate care and, and support system, and consider functional medicine to look as a piece of the puzzle to really provide these kids tools to start improving their quality of life. So within the treatment plan of a child with autism, you have the medical side. You have uh, what we hope people will um, integrate into their their uh, plan is the functional medicine side. And then we have dealing with the symptomology. Um, all three, do you feel, especially the, this aspect of dealing with symptomology and lifestyle skills, all three do you feel are extremely important in dealing with the whole child? Absolutely, yeah. This is something that... It really has to be a collaborative effort in many cases, and it's not um, a one-size-fits-all approach. And it's, but you'll find that what the, was the game-changer for one child isn't necessarily the game-changer for the next person. So you have to keep an open mind. If you, know, if you hang your hat on one-size-fits-all approach to autism or any other inflammatory issue, you'd be proven wrong all day long. So it's important to really be collaborative and to do whatever is necessary to get these kids the help that they need. I think this is such an important point, and I like to bring it forth um, often, because 
even within my own practice, people still get this notion of one or the other, and it need not be. So I really want to reiterate here what Dr. Cole is saying is that a collective approach is so very, very important. It doesn't have to be one or the other. And probably I would, I would imagine you would say that uh, the triumvirate of the three is, is most beneficial for the child. But what natural tools, so let's dive into the functional medicine side of it. What natural tools do you use to help your patients with autism? Mm-hmm. It starts with a comprehensive health history, which is maybe, it's, I think it's, it's not talked about enough because oftentimes in the standard model of care in, in the West, it's a very uh, short, it's not a very in-depth health history. And it's important to really get to know the genesis of where these things began, what's going on in their life and, and listening to them. Uh, and listening to the parents. And then from there, you can see what labs would be the most appropriate because we don't want to run labs for the sake of it and just, you know, shoot in the dark and hope that we find something. But what are the most likely areas that we're going to find some answers for them? So we want to get multiple labs perspective from their vantage point, what's going on. So some of the things that I mentioned earlier is based on a health history to see what labs would even be relevant. But some things that we could consider, um, depending on the case, would be looking at the gut, looking at the health of their microbiome, because it is their second brain. It's all, all of our second brain. So not just from a digestive standpoint, which is certainly applicable for uh, children on the spectrum, but also the impact that the gut has on the brain through the gut-brain axis, and it's 85% of the immune system. So when you're dealing with inflammation issues or autoimmune inflammation issues, you want to look at where the predominance of the immune system resides, and that's the gut. That's the microbiome. So definitely the gut. And then also looking at the brain itself and looking at things, components like neurological autoimmunity, which we see in some children, not in all children, but basically antibodies uh, creating response against brain tissue, which would be indicative of an inflammatory response against the brain itself. And then uh, we look at nutrient deficiencies, of course. We look at things like vitamin D. We look at things like magnesium. Um, we look at uh, inflammation levels. We run some basic inflammation le- levels as well. And toxicity, heavy metal toxicity, environmental toxicity, uh, and then other chronic infections that can be going on as well that can be driving up this inflammatory response. So that's kind of the core stuff. And then what we do about that depends on those findings. So, for example, if heavy metals was found in one case, if it was found in the, not found in the second case, that, that child wouldn't, it wouldn't be pertinent that the child goes through a heavy metal detoxing protocol. So it's a really an individualized protocol based on what we find on that lab data. So do we need to support detox? Do we need to support gut health? Do we need to support brain health? Do we need to support... Uh, methylation impairments because a lot of these children do have gene SNP changes like the MTHFR gene and other gene changes that you can support that genetic weakness. You can't obviously change our genetics, but you can, by knowing these gene SNPs or these gene changes, you can give the body a little bit more of what it's not doing so well on its own. Uh, And methylation is needed for healthy brain function and detoxification pathways and healthy hormone balance and gut health, all the things that are needed for a child on the spectrum and for all of us. So this, these are some things in consideration. So we use food as medicine, we use natural botanical medicine, some other protocols to really facilitate uh, the child to get what they need. I know um, just stories that my daughter talks about when she comes home and, and you know, the wonderful children that she works with. Educating the parents is such a key piece. And um, that seems to be, you know, they deal with the symptomology, but educating the parents and having them understand all of these things that you talked about, I, I can imagine is a huge, huge part of what you're doing uh, alongside dealing with the child specifically. Absolutely. It has to be, we mentioned collaborative as far as healthcare options and finding the tools that work best for you, but it also is collaborative in the home. And we, even if, if it's a family where the parents have split up or they're divorced, which is higher, sadly, amongst the autism community because of the stress it puts the family under, we make, if it, if it is reasonable, 
um, if the, both parents are making decisions, we make both of them come to the consult for the sake of their child, because especially if they're living in two different homes uh, where it's in a split custody, it's important that everybody's involved. If grandparents, if the kids are being watched by their grandparents a couple days a week, we have the grandparents involved because you have to have all these lovely people on the same page Mm -hmm. because they, you know, when you know better, you do better. And oftentimes people aren't, obviously they love these children, but they don't necessarily have the information and the tools that they need. So when you empower them with that information, they're excited to get on board because everybody's on the same mission of, of giving this little kid is, is everything that they need. Mm-hmm. And and it is so important to be collaborative in that aspect. You know, just just things like reward systems are a huge piece of of dealing behavioral with behaviorally with these children. And you speak so much about the gut uh, brain connection and the microbiome. And oftentimes, the the quickest easiest reward is a sweet treat or things like that. Mm. And um, that needs to be discussed, and that needs to be understood by the parents that, you know, perhaps working working on that end and, and understanding how even these small little treats and these small little types of rewards can be counterintuitive to what you're trying to do is very, very important. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's one thing that, again, we it's culturally, it's it's normal. Uh, for many families, but we have to start bringing awareness to the fact that, look, they don't necessarily have the same wiggle room that, that, that they had when they were little. And what, what was innocuous, seemingly innocuous, we know these things aren't healthy for anybody, but there's more of a wiggle room. There's more of flexibility with, with people that aren't on the spectrum. But for kids on the spectrum, it can make a major difference in their behavior mm-hmm. and in their health and in the inflammation in their body. So, and this is just about education. This isn't about shaming anybody or becoming dogmatic or, you know, <laughs> uh, like just a militant. This is really about how let's focus on all the things we can have. Let's, let's find some alternatives that are still yummy and delicious and you can do together as a family and you don't have to be isolated. And this can be a sustainable lifestyle change. Um, and that is so a powerful tool to get all the family on board. Um, and that starts with with educating them. Absolutely. Now, do you have a specific supplement regime that you would say, start with this before we get our lab results back? This is, these are things that that are necessary for your child to be on. Yeah, I I would say there are some low hanging like fruit, some obvious things that everybody could benefit from. And this isn't just for kids on the spectrum, but it's even more irrelevant for children on the spectrum. I would say getting a good, clean omega fatty acid supplement, omega-3 fatty acid, because that can help to lower inflammation. The brain really needs that for optimal function. Uh, Some uh, dose-appropriate methylated B vitamins, so things like methylfolate and methylcobalamin B12 uh, to support methylation, and you don't have to do high doses of it. It just can be a good standard dose. Uh, and also things like probiotics would be uh, something to consider, and um, vitamin D. I think uh, that with vitamin K2, uh, these fat-soluble vitamins are normally deficient in a lot of people in the West, and especially for these kids, it can be very helpful. It's been shown to improve outcomes as well. So these are all things to consider on a core level. Uh, and then from there, you can lean into these other modalities based on labs and based on what's relevant to the specific case. Yes, okay. Now, I, I was doing some reading in preparation for this. A lot of studies have uh, come out about uh, toxic load um, and toxins crossing the blood-brain barrier. And to that end, saunas have been brought up as a potent therapy for uh, children with autism. Can you speak to that? Is that something that you use in your practice? I'm sorry, I missed the, did I use what? Saunas. Oh, saunas, absolutely, yes. <laughs> uh, saunas are an amazing tool to, to use. Uh, we love infrared saunas, but really just getting the child to sweat and uh, having the therapy of the light therapy itself um, it is an amazing modality to consider as a tool. Um, and doesn't. I'm not saying every parent has to go in and, and buy a sauna, but uh, may, maybe in your local city or town, there are growing amount of spas and health clinics that have saunas 
there to make it a little bit more affordable. But if it, if it works, then many families find, okay, I'm going to get a good, it's a better investment to actually go buy the sauna itself because of we use it so much and it's so beneficial, it ends up paying for itself that way. Uh, but yes, it's definitely another modality to consider. What type of sauna would we be talking about? So you want to make sure that these things are coming from a reputable, reputable company that use third-party testing that is um, good quality wood because some wood can release toxins when it's heated up. So you want to make sure that you're getting uh, a brand that is being vetted appropriately. So some brands that I I don't have any connection with them as far as financial connection to them, but I just know that they provide good quality things and they're well respected in the autism community. And those are, that's the company Sunlighten. Uh, they're based in the United States, but they ship all around. Um, but they're, they have all different price points. They have just a basic solo system, which is the one that I actually have. It's a basically a, a one that you can collapse. So I don't have a lot of space in my, uh, where I want it, and it, it just, you just it's one person, and you can just collapse it and put it in the closet somewhere. And then they have the bigger wood models too that are again lower price points to higher price points depending on what you're looking for, the size you want, and all the gadgets that they come with. But uh, yeah, Sunlighten is the brand that I I recommend. Oh, okay, then perfect. Um, now, I do want to throw in a couple of questions. I know we're pressing up against the clock here. Um, would you say what, somebody has asked to um, clarify food allergies? Would you say food allergies can be an issue with uh, a child on the, the spectrum? Absolutely. So okay. it's important to differentiate um, allergies, sensitivities, and intolerances. So uh, allergies are an immune-mediated response, meaning it involves the immune system, but it's normally an immediate response, and there definitely can be allergies in, in a, a child with autism. Um, sensitivities are still immune-mediated, but they're, they're probably more common than allergies when you're talking about a child on the spectrum, where it's this low-grade inflammation response. Um, you are going to see some of the same symptoms as an allergy, but it's going to be less um, extreme as an allergy, uh, and and then there's intolerances which are not immune mediated. They are like a lack of enzyme, like lactose intolerance or something like that. Now all of those can sort of create this inflammation, so it's maybe just semantics, but without a doubt, it's looking at food and what response that's having. But why is that? It's it's not largely intestinal permeability. It's leaky gut syndrome or increased intestinal permeability. Uh, and that's what's causing the overreaction to these foods. So it's not, in most cases, it's less to do with the food and more to do with what's going on in the gut. So the gut healthy, reintroduction of some of these foods is possible. And that's definitely my goal is to give as much flexibility um, to make this a sustainable life change. But in the short term, to heal the gut going off of some of those foods may be a piece of the puzzle. I think it's so important that you're bringing to the table these other ways that people can work with their children. Um, it's, it's just so great to have multi, multifaceted ways to incorporate these things into a child's lifestyle. What would you uh, suggest to people that have been um, sparked with interest by our conversation? What would they start looking for first when they're trying to approach uh, a doctor, a functional medicine mm-hmm. doctor? Well, that's a good question. They could they could go to drworldcole.com, my website, just because there's so much free resources on there and there are things to ask your doctor. You can just use the search engine on drworldcole.com and type in autism or type in labs and they can print off the articles and show them to your doctor and have a conversation uh, about the different things that spark interest in your child's case. Maybe you're seeing as a parent you know, certain things and you can search things like candida overgrowth or food sensitivities or uh, toxins and all these things that we're talking about. I think that's a good starting point just to educate yourself and kind of get a functional medicine perspective on the things that you're looking to research. We see patients around the world. Um, we can do webcam consultations. That's almost all of my patients. So we can definitely, if you want to run the lab that we've talked about and kind of do a consultation properly, you can do that as well. Um, and then uh, functionalmedicine.org is a good reference as well. Um, there's, if you want someone locally, you can just type in your area and then find functional medicine practitioners in your area. So those are some good 
our resources to start off with. Perfect. Okay, I want to give you a little bit of space here to talk about your book and to give us your social sites before we check out, so go to it. Thank you so much. So, <laughs> yeah, my book that's out now, it's called Ketotarian. It's a plant-centric ketogenic book. So we actually talk about autism in the book and, and inflammation and autoimmunity as a whole because ketones uh, is actually anti-inflammatory and there's exciting research about autoimmunity, autism, the brain, and ketones. But let's do keto in a clean way, in a mostly plant-based, real food way. Um, and that's Ketotarian. It's out now. You can get it in bookstores around the, around North America as well as on Amazon and all of the websites that you can book, get books. And, um, yeah, my, all my social handles as at Dr. Will Cole. That's at D-R-W-I-L-L-C-O-L-E. And my website, again, is drwillcole.com. And your new book comes out when? Yeah, my next book. Thank you so much. It comes out October, mid-October. Uh, I think it's October 15th. Uh, it's on pre-order now. It's called The Inflammation Spectrum. But you can actually go to drworldcole.com to see all what people are saying about it so far. Um, we've had some amazing feedback from Mark Hyman, the director of the Cleveland Clinic's Functional Medicine Center, David Promutter, the author of Grain Brain, um, Alejandro Younger, who's the author of Clean, Gwyneth Paltrow, a lot of great pe- minds in the wellness space talking about the books that have read an advanced copy, and they can pre-order that now. Well, congratulations. Good luck to you on that. It sounds like a wonderful book. I'm going to have to get my hands on one myself. So thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you so much for you joining us. It's really, um, it's, it's a topic that really garners a lot of interest, a very sensitive topic. So, you know, thank you on behalf of, of our listeners for coming to the show and opening up our eyes to another path that we can take when we have children with autism. So thank you for joining the show. Thanks for having me. Next week on the show, we will be talking about food with the food waste philosophy with Chef uh, Shane Jordan. It's going to be a very interesting topic. And um, again, everybody, our show next week will be live, and we will talk to you next week on The Health Hub. to The Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi, here on Radio Maria Canada.